1 Samuel chapter 17, 36 and 37. Your servant has struck down both lions and bears, and this uncircumcised Philistine shall be like one of them, for he has defied the armies of the living God. And David said, The Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. And Saul said to David, Go, and the Lord be with you. Let's pray. Lord, I pray for your anointing for this service, Lord. It's so easy to just depend upon what happened the last service or the preparation for this week. And I need you, Lord, to fill me afresh and to use me for your purposes and for your glory. Help me to be like that sail in the wind led by your spirit. And I pray for your people, God, that you would feed them now. Spirit, would you convict where conviction needs to come? Would you bring encouragement where encouragement needs to come? And Lord, more than anything, would you glorify your name during this time? And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I went to an interesting movie last night, The Jesus Revolution, and I felt like I was looking at my life story. It was unreal. I knew, I knew that there would be things that would really hit me because of what, how the Lord brought me to himself. And I had no idea how much that movie, how I would relate to it over and over again in so many different uh, uh, characters and the way things were done. And it brought me back to when I first got saved, obviously before I got saved and then after by God's grace and mercy. And I remembered, uh, this was part of the reason I went to the movie was because of the introduction to this sermon because I remember uh, way back in 1981 when I was a fairly new believer, I saw a movie, maybe you saw it as well, called Chariots of Fire. And I remember how that movie impacted me. It's a movie about a guy named Eric Little. Uh, and what happened was it was about him going to the 20, or 1924 Summer Olympics, almost 100 years ago. And uh, he had won the 100-meter race. He was, uh, he was the favorite to win the gold medal in the Olympics. And um, so he was excited about that. And they, they, what they did was they scheduled the first heat in the Olympics for a Sunday. And he had a strong conviction against working on Sunday, and he felt that he would be violating that conviction if he ran that race, the qualifying heat. Uh, you can agree with him or disagree with him, but the point of the matter is, is that it was his strong conviction, and he had to respond to it in his own way. Well, what happened was is he decided not to run, and that was a lot of pressure because at this point in the Olympics, someone from Scotland had never won a gold medal. So you can imagine the pressure on this young man to run this race that he was favored to win. And uh, he decided against it. He said, no, I, I have to stand in my conviction uh, with the Lord. And what happened was is he also qualified for the 400-meter race, and he was not at all expected to win that race. And um, when you... When you about his life story, how that all played out. What happened was is he ended up winning the 400-meter race. Not only that, but he set a new world record doing it. And what was interesting in his story was, uh, first of all, that uh, 
somebody had asked him if he had ever, if he had prayed that the Lord would let him win the race. And he said, I have never prayed that the Lord would let me win any race. He said, I prayed that God would be glorified in the athletes meeting before the races. That's what my prayer was. And uh, so he had never prayed for that. And uh, so he wins this race. And um, it was amazing. Right before he ran the 400, someone from, I think it was the British team, came up and handed him a Bible verse. And that Bible verse was from 1 Samuel chapter 2, verse 30. And it said, I will honor those who honor me. And so the point of today's message is not that if you, if you uh, honor God, you'll always win the race. But it is interesting how that all occurred. And um, if you continue on, uh, I saw this uh, video of his life called Champion of Conviction. And it was a really boring movie. <laughs> okay, I'm just being honest with you. It was in 2008. So if you decide to watch it, it's, watch it from beginning to end, but it's boring. Because it's a documentary and it's just talking about people like his people who were part of him. What, what, what happened is this, from 1925, the year after, to 1944, he was a missionary in China. His parents and his grandparents were all missionaries in China. So he went to be a missionary in China. And in 1943, what happened is World War II, and they were in northern China, and they were considered, they were cons- the Japanese were concerned that they were uh, uh, sympathetic to the Western world, so they were put in an internment camp, a POW camp. And uh, that's what he spent his last two years in. What happened is, is that he ended up dying of brain cancer in, at when he was 43 years old in that camp. And it, wasn't, uh, it was a short time later that they were actually freed. The war was over. And so a uh, great story. I would encourage you to watch it. Uh, really, um, really amazing. He's one of those uh, heroes of the faith that we don't think about. And uh, it was interesting because some of the people that were in the camp with him, because they have people that were part of it, he was an older gentleman, and they brought a bunch of of, uh, younger people in there who were missionaries' uh, children. And they said, you know, it was funny because most of us didn't even realize that Eric had won the gold medal. We just knew that it uh, it was just Eric. Uncle Eric is what they used to call him. So great testimony. I want to encourage you to watch that if you get a chance. But what you see in there, in his story, and what we see in 1 Samuel is this, that we need to live for the King of Kings' glory, not our own. We need to live for the King of Kings' glory and not our own. What 1 Samuel is, is it's really a record of two flawed kings. They're both messed up, and we'll learn more about David next week. But what we see is they live for, for someone's glory. The first king lived for his own glory, and the second one lived for the king of kings' glory. And what we find in Samuel is that in First Samuel that it, uh, originally it was all one book, First and Second Samuel, and they split them apart when the Septuagint was written, which is the Greek version of the Hebrew Bible. So at that point, they split First Samuel from Second Samuel. It was all one, and we can best understand First Samuel. Uh, in the way that it is, by its, it's divided by its three main characters in that book. Take a look. Here it is. In chapters 1 through 7, it's the story of Samuel. And in chapters 8 through 15, it's the story of Saul, Israel's first king. He's a man of the flesh. And then chapters 16 through 31, David, Israel's second king, man of faith. Well, 
what we find is, is we find Christ in this book over and over again because he is pictured in Samuel and King David. In Samuel, uh, we see that uh, the ministry of the prophet, the priest, and the judge. And then in King David, we see a shepherd, a king, and born in Bethlehem. There are so many parallels. It's just beautiful in, in this book. Um, what we do, though, is, is when we look at Samuel, we see that he was the last judge. You know, we were talking about the book of Judges last week, or Ruth and the week before Judges, and we found that uh, there were 350 years of judges, and Samuel was the last judge for the last 40 years when they had a judge. And the people uh, cried out they wanted to have a king. And what we see in Samuel's life is this, is that he was the beginning of the, what they call the prophetic ministry, and he was the one who kicked off or initiated the 500-year monarchy period. So Saul is this transitional, or uh, I'm sorry, Samuel is this transitional figure in the Bible because it, it was the end of Judges, it was the beginning of having kings, uh, it was the beginning of the uh, prophets. Who are the prophets? That's a term that people use in church a lot. The biblical term or understanding of a prophet is this. They were individuals through whom God would speak. Say, tell this to my people, and they would communicate that to, to the people. So Samuel was the first one to fulfill that role as a prophet. And he was the first one to initiate the king. The people wanted a, uh, we want a king like the other nations. And so God directed Samuel to Saul. He said, that's the man. And so uh, Samuel was the one who uh, coronated, if you will, the, the first king of Israel, Saul. And what we find is this, that as we look at Saul's life, we realize this, that, that Saul really lived for his own glory. Saul was all about Saul. Take a look at God's word. 1 Samuel 15, and this is Samuel talking to Saul after a battle, okay? And he's saying, and the Lord sent you on a mission and said, go devote to destruction the sinners, the Amalekites, and fight against them until they are consumed. Why then did you not obey the voice of the Lord? Why did you pounce on the spoil and do what was evil in the sight of the Lord? And Saul said to Samuel, I have obeyed the voice of the Lord. I have gone on the mission in which the Lord sent me. I have brought Agag, the king of Amalek, and I have devoted the Amalekites to destruction. But the people took, the spo took of the spoil, sheep and oxen, the best of the things devoted to destruction, to sacrifice to the Lord your God in Gilgal. And Samuel said, has the Lord... Has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice and to listen than the fat of rams. Saul said to Samuel, I have sinned for I have transgressed the command of the Lord and your words because I feared the people and obeyed their voice. So what we have is God had told Saul that he should kill all of the Amalekites. Kill them all, everything. And you know, you just went through and you saw the results of Israel not obeying God through conquering the promised land and all the results of that. You think he would have put that together, but he didn't. And he decided not to walk in disobedience because 
Saul spared their king and their choicest livestock. You know, we can fall into those types of areas of sin as well, thinking that, you know, I know a better way than God. That's what Saul was doing here. Our sin is rooted in thinking that we know better than God. You know, God, your book was written a long time ago, and a lot of things have changed. And so, you know, this, this stuff doesn't, re- doesn't line up with today's world. So God is eternal. How could he not know this? God's truths are eternal. They stand the test of time. And yet, what we do is, 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 is we, it's so easy to get caught up into thinking, well, you know what, God, we need to change some things here because the world has changed. And we think we're smarter than God. And so we decide, well, I'm going to do what really I think is right. I know, I know this is what you told us to do, God, but I'm going to do this because I know better than you, God, is essentially what we're saying. And that is the root of so much sin in our lives. And then we see what, what Saul did here, and we can fall into the same sin in that we veil our disobedience as righteous acts. And that would Saul does here. He said, uh, uh, first of all, he doesn't take responsibility. He blames the people. And then he says, listen, I, I have obeyed. It's not me. It's not me, God. It wasn't me. It was them. It was the people because the people took the spoil. They're the ones. And then he says here, the sheep and the oxen and the best of things devoted for destruction. Why? Well, to sacrifice to you, Lord. See, he disobeyed God. And what he tried to do was he tried to say, listen, this was a righteous act. This was the right thing to do. This was right because we were going to sacrifice it to your God. I highlighted your there because that's interesting to me. It just shows you Saul's heart. We're going to sacrifice to your God. What about our God? You're the king, aren't you? You're the man. It's our God, not your God. But we see a little bit of, of, of Saul's heart reflected in that. And how we try to so many times take a good motive and use that to compensate or to say it's okay to disobey God. Well, I, I, I was really just trying to help God. I really wanted to glorify your name because here's the situation I was in. And, and I know it was wrong, but you got to admit, God, there was a good result here. We can fall into that so easily, can't we, as believers? We know something's wrong. We know God doesn't want us to do it. And we do it anyway, and we try to say it's a, a righteous act. It's, it's for, for God. And we really end up wanting to keep something for ourselves in the deal too, don't we? Keep something for ourselves and pretend we're going to dedicate it to God. And I'll give you one that it's easy to fall into. Regardless of what you believe about this or not, you buy a lottery ticket, right? It's $100 million. Like I said, whatever your conviction is, you can stand on it. But if you're okay with it, you buy it. And what do you do? You buy the ticket. And you make God a promise, right? If I win, Lord, I'm not going to give you 10%. I'm not even going to give you 20%. I'm going to give you 30%, God. Right? Why? Because of our greed. 
We want it. And we're going to make a deal with God. And if you have a conviction against that and you buy it, you're basically saying, well, yeah, I know, God, but God, I mean, the good will come out of it. To obey is better than sacrifice, what the Lord would say to you. Again, stand on your conviction. If you don't, if you're not, don't have a problem with that, that's fine. But, you see, it's so easy to take something that we know is wrong for us and try to somehow put a righteous motive on it and then go and do it because, well, it, it, ultimately it'll, it'll be good. That's what Saul was doing here. That's what he was doing. He was saying, hey, it's, it's, it's okay. Why? Why did Saul do something like that? I mean, it was pretty clear what God had said. Well, because Saul desired men's praise more than he desired to obey God. It was about his own glory. You see, that's why it says here, because I feared the people and obeyed their voice. Was he afraid of the people? He wasn't afraid of the people. He was king. He knew that. He wanted the people's approval. He wanted people to like him. I'm their king. I want people to rejoice because I'm the king. I want them to think well of me. I want them to think I'm a great king. And so he's going to disobey God, going to walk in that disobedience so that people would think well of him. So he would receive their praise. It was about, Saul was about Saul. Saul was about his own glory. And so then we come to a man named David. He was just as flawed as Saul. I mean, we'll find that out next week in 2 Samuel. But he sought God's glory above his own glory. He had a heart after God. I remember when I was a new believer, I used to pray some things. I didn't know how accurate it was back then, but I remember I used to pray, God, I pray that you give me a heart after you like David. I pray that you give me wisdom like you gave Solomon. I pray that you give me a faith-to-faith relationship with you like you had with Moses. And I think of, of David and his heart was after God. He wanted to glorify God. Take a look at God's word again. Samuel, 1 Samuel 17, the other favorite, famous chapter in the book of 1 Samuel. David said to Saul, let no man's heart fail because of him. Your servant will go fight with this Philistine. And Saul said to David, you are not able to go against this Philistine to fight him, for you are a, but a youth, and he has been a man of war from his youth. You're a kid. You're a kid. You can't go fight him. You can't do that. He's going to beat you. It goes on, verse 36. Your servant has struck down both lions and bears, and this uncircumcised Philistine shall be like one of them, for he has defied the armies of the living God. David got it. He said, this isn't about uh, you and I or even this army. It's about God. He's defying God's armies. If he's defying God's armies, he's defying our God. He's mocking our God. Don't you get it, Saul? And Saul didn't. But David got it. He has delivered uh, 
He's defied the armies of the living God, verse 37. And David said, The Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion, from the paw of the bear, will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. He knew where his strength was. It was the Lord. Then Saul clothed David with his armor. We, you can read about how that all went out. And this is the conclusion. Then David said to Saul, I cannot go with these, for I have not tested them. So David put them off. And then he took up his staff in his hand and chose five smooth stones from the brook and put them in his shepherd's pouch. His sling was in his hand, and he approached the Philistine. Wow. See, what was common there, what we don't understand is how they did war back then. If you had two armies, you could choose a champion from each army. And then what would happen is these two champions would fight, and whoever won, then that army was, would be the victorious army, and the other people would have to submit to the victorious army. That way there wouldn't be as much bloodshed. That was how it worked back then. And so that's what they were doing. This was normal. This was kind of the way that they did battle. And so what occurred was that uh, Israel sends out David. Now say you're in the army. Say you're in the army, okay? And you know that your life is going to be affected by the outcome of this battle, right? We're going to be subject to the whoever wins. If David loses, if this kid loses, we're in trouble. I'm personally going to be uncomfortable with this. And so they send out Goliath. Do you know how tall Goliath was? If you look at the numbers in the Bible, Goliath was about nine feet, nine inches tall, about three inches short of the bottom of a basketball hoop. Three inches shorter. His armor weighed 250 pounds. His armor, the head of the, the javelin or spear that he had was 25 pounds. So you're sitting there watching this happen and this kid walks out there against this guy and your life is going to be affected by this. See how people would respond? Are you kidding me? You're sending a kid, Saul? And Saul, who should have been the one to fight, was paralyzed by fear. He allowed the external circumstances to affect his actions. He saw Goliath and did not see God. He did not understand that this was the honor of the living God that was being laid down, that was being mocked by Goliath, and he didn't see it. He could only see the external circumstances. He could not see the greatness of his God. Isn't it easy to fall into that in life? You see the, the, the massive battle that's in front of you, the, the, the impossible odds of will this ever change, will America ever turn this way, or will this ever happen, or will, will this occur, or that occur, and we get so caught up in that that we don't see God. We're so consumed with looking at Goliath that we don't see God. And Saul couldn't. So David would take action Despite the risk, David was going to go it. And the reason he was is because he was jealous for God's glory and honor. This uncircumcised Philistine, this, what? You're defying the armies of the living God. How dare you do that? How dare you mock God? How dare you speak ill of our God? 
How dare you do that? And he was going to stand up no matter what the cost was for him personally. And so David is going to take the risk because he is jealous for God's glory and he trusted in God's power. He trusted in his God. Regardless of what would have happened, he was trusting God. Take a look at God's word again. Samuel 17, 45 through 47 and 50. Then David said to the Philistine, You come to me with a sword and with a spear and with a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts. I'm coming to you for God's glory, all that his name means. The God of the armies of Israel whom you have defied. You have defied God. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hand that all the assembly may know that the Lord saves not with sword and spear, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give it into your hands. The Lord saves not with sword and spear. Isn't that so true about our lives? We had a far bigger enemy than Goliath. It was the debt of sin that we had. The wrath of God was going to be poured out upon us. Rightly so. And we needed someone to deliver us, someone to stand up and defeat that enemy. And Christ did that on the cross. He took the the penalty that we owed and paid it, defeated the enemy, defeated the, the penalty and the power of sin over us that we could be set free, and now we are free indeed. We had a far greater enemy than Goliath. And God won the victory not by sword or spear. He saved by the cross. What a beautiful picture. Anyway, in verse 48, when the Philistines arose and came and drew near to meet David, David ran quickly towards the battle line to meet the Philistine. I don't know about you. I want him on my side. I want him on my team. (laughs) Wow. Okay, David. And David put his hand in his bag and took out a stone and slung it and struck the Philistine on his forehead. The stone sank into his forehead and he fell on his face to the ground. So David prevailed over the Philistine with a sling and with a stone and struck the Philistine and killed him. And how appropriate. In Leviticus, God had a penalty for those who would blaspheme his holy name. In in Leviticus 24, 16, Whoever blasphemes the name of the Lord shall surely be put to death. All the congregation shall stone him. So Goliath's death was so apropos, wasn't it? He dies by a stone for blaspheming God. What a story. What a story. It's, it's just wonderful to see this. You see, the glory of God was not central in King Saul's life. His own glory was. And in King David's life, God's glory was central to him. He wanted to see the name of his God boasted about and bragged about. It's about God, not me. Let me ask you a question. Whose glory is central in your life? Whose glory is central in your life? Do you desire men's adulation? men's approval so that they would say well of you which we should want a good name 
But is that your motive? Is your main motive about you and what people would say about you rather than about your God? Do you desire men's adulation and acceptance more than doing what you know will honor and please God? Do you? You know when that person that you're with just mocks God and you're silent because you're afraid if you say something, what will they think of me? Or what will it cost me? In today's world, it's crazy the things we can say that we could lose our job over. But what about it? Are we more concerned about those things than the glory of God? Take a look at God's word. 2 Corinthians 5, 7 through 9. For we walk by faith and not by sight. Yes, we are of good courage, and we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. So whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to please him. Is that our desire? Is that your heart's desire in all things? all things to please him in your parenting in your job in your neighborhood in the morning when you get up first peter 4:16 yet if anyone suffers as a christian let him not be ashamed but let him glorify god in that name so that means you know what you're going to suffer if you're a believer and you stand for Christ, you're going to suffer for the name of Christ. It's going to happen. There's going to be a cost. There always is. And then we look at 1 Samuel 2.30b. But now the Lord declares, far be it from me, for those who honor me I will honor, and those who despise me shall be lightly esteemed. You could say what you want about Eric Little's conviction, whether you agree with it or not, that's not the point. The point is, is that he stood on his conviction because he felt it would honor God regardless of his, the personal cost. And for him, it was literally gold. The gold medal. There was no promise that he would win the 400. The 100 race happened before. There was no promise. He was going to stand on the convictions, the things that he felt honored God and it didn't matter the cost. And the pressure on this young man, by his nation probably, to be the first one to win a gold medal for Scotland, we can't even imagine it. And then, you re as I said, this movie is boring, but it's really a good watch. It's one of those testimonies you want to read and go, man, Ed, God, help me live like that for you. And this one man reports, he said, you know, all the adulation that Eric got after that, all the things where people did this, you know, I mean, he's, the na he's a national hero. He said, Eric never changed. He never changed. He was always humble. He was always helping people. He was always telling people about Jesus. Never changed him. He honored God, and God honored him. Who do you want your life to exalt? Who do you want your life to get people's admiration? Do you want to be known as the best preacher?
what do you what do you what are your goals in life? Do you want to be known as the best or this or that? And it, again, there's nothing wrong. There's a good reputation that we need to seek after. But why are we doing what we're doing? Is it about us? Is it about so people will think this about me? Or is it about so that people will think this about my Savior, about my God? You, you really believe all that stuff you talk about? You willing to, to, to lay it all on the line for that stuff? Do you really mean it that much? But I get it. Find a way. Who do you want your life to exalt? Is it about Jesus or is it about you? Is it about God's glory, about your glory? About people patting you on the back or people proclaiming the greatness of your God? And that's what, to me, First Samuel is all about. It's about the glory of God. It's about living for God's glory because God's glory is the reason for everything. Do you realize that? All this stuff that we're fighting for is going to be gone not going to add up to a hill of beans. God's glory is the reason for everything. Take a look again at God's word. Isaiah 50, 43, 7. Everyone who is called by my name, whom I created for my glory. There's your purpose. The glory of God is your purpose. Whom I formed and made. Romans 9, 18. For the scripture says to Pharaoh, for this very purpose I have raised you up, that I might show my power in you, and that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. The same thing could be said about Goliath. Why did God raise up Goliath? Same thing. Same thing. So that it would be a testimony to God's greatness. To you and I now, not just to that army back then. We, you look at that and you go, that's impossible. Yeah, but our God is, is great. And then in 1 Corinthians 10, 31, so whether you eat or drink, whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Do it all for the glory of God. Like John Piper says, drink orange juice to the glory of God. You say, how can you do that? You can do that by realizing, you know what, God, I can't pick up this glass unless you empower me. I won't be able to taste this orange juice. And if you have COVID, maybe that's true. Some people are still struggling with taste. But I can't even taste it, Lord, without you. God, your goodness to me is incredible. Drinking orange juice to the glory of God. You were made for the glory of God. So live for the King of Kings' glory, not your own. Not your own. God is big enough to take care of us. God is big enough to exalt his glory to all the people around us through our lives. And here's another statement we all understand. We've heard it before. And God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. How, is he, how can I be satisfied in God? Realizing that, you know, I, there's nothing else I need. I don't need men's approval. I got God's. I'm satisfied in that. God's made all these promises that he promises to take care of me that he will accomplish his will through my life. And I'll be satisfied in him. Whatever role he has for me, I'm going to be satisfied in that, God. I'm going to be de delighting in all that you have done for me in the cross. Lord, that, that my penalty is paid. I never have to worry about anything, God, because I'm right with you. I'm your child. You've adopted me. And I'm satisfied in you, Lord. 
I'm not satisfied in my spouse responding in a certain way. My joy is in you, Lord. I find my, my self-esteem in you, Lord. I find my joy in you. I find the things that I'm looking for in this crazy, mixed-up, broken world. I find them in you, the King of kings, the Lord of glory. And I'm at peace, Lord. I'm satisfied in you. That's where we glorify God. Because when we are satisfied in God, we live differently. Our lives look different than the people around us. We live and we speak in a way that causes them to admire God, not us. You know, you, you want to delight in God in the morning and, and, and you read the word and a verse stands out. And I've said this so many times. A verse stands out and you just don't know what it's about. And then later that day you run across someone and you just feel like the Holy Spirit's pricking your heart and saying, this verse is for them. And you say, you know, I, I just got to share this with you. Um, you know, I, I, I was reading my Bible this morning and this verse stood out. And I think it's just to encourage you and, and you just share it. And they'll probably walk away thinking, what a Jesus freak. Wouldn't that be great? Isn't that what you want to be called? I do. I do. I want to be called a Jesus freak. That Jesus is exalted in my life. In little things. In big things. That Jesus is exalted. That he is my satisfaction. Not men's pat on the back. Not what, what people would say about Dan being this or that. But Dan's God. That guy really believes that stuff. He trusts God. And he tells people about it. He tells them. This last week I got convicted. want to reach out more so I bought a bunch of case for Christ DVDs I thought I'm handing them out again God can I hand them out to people so I handed one out this week and then literally uh, the Gideons came to pick up their check and I had asked them for some little pocket Bibles okay so uh, the guy gave me this pocket Bible a box of them and I felt like I was supposed to bring one with me and give it to the waitress who was serving me for a meal that I was having with, a, with someone that I was witnessing or I was sharing with. So I gave it to her. I haven't done that in a long time. I need to step up. So I'm gonna. I'm gonna. I want them to say, that guy is a Jesus freak. That guy, it's about Jesus for him. I want Jesus to receive the glory. And I want to do it rudely I want to do it lovingly, but I want Jesus to receive the glory in the way that I speak, the way that I live, the way that I delight in God's word, the way that I trust him in hard times. When Goliath is staring me in the face and everything seems impossible, I want to remember God's past victories. That's exactly what David did. He said, I remember the bear, I remember the lion, and God delivered me from them, and he'll do it now. And I remember the time I went through this, and God delivered me from that, and God helped me through it. The loss of our child, the loss of our uh, mom and dad, the murder of my niece, God helped us through it all. When I was lost in nowhere, God pulled me out. God has been faithful in the past. He will be faithful in the future. That's my God. That's my God. 
And his name will be honored and glorified. So one of the things we can do is just stop worrying. Stop worrying. That's such an assault against God's character. Will he not take care of you? When has he failed you? And the world breaks down all around you. Is God not sovereign still? Is he not ruling, reigning the universe? Sure he is. So let's walk like that. And the people around us will give glory to God, not us. They'll say, man, you, you, your God is great. Tell me about him. You see, God made us for his glory. So let's live for his glory. And I wanted to conclude with three quotes from Eric Little for this sermon. Here they are. We are all missionaries. Whether we go, either, wherever, wherever we go, we either bring people near to Christ or repel them from Christ. Many of us are missing something in life because we are after the second best. Boy, that's deep, isn't it? And then finally, it has been a wonderful experience to, keep in, to compete in the Olympics and to bring home a gold medal. But since I have been a young lad, I have had my eyes on a different prize. You see, each one of us is in a greater race than any I have run in Paris. And this race ends when God gives out the medals. And that's sweet. Let's pray. Lord, you have your ways that are so far above our ways. God, there's so many times where I personally back down. I want, I'm worried about what people will think of me. And I let them disparage your name. Forgive me, God. And I pray that you would put a passion for your glory in my heart that would overwhelm me. And I pray that for our people, Lord. That you would be glorified in our lives. God, that you would receive the glory for all that's being done. God, do this so that people would brag about your name, proclaim your name. And I pray this in Jesus' beautiful name. And all God's people said,